0: Our reading this afternoon is from the first letter of John, uh, beginning, uh, I think it's in John chapter 2, verse 28, and then also into chapter 4. I think it's on page 1,228 if you're following in the Church Bibles. So we begin in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28 and into chapter 3, and then into chapter 4. So let us hear the word of God. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And then into chapter 4, reading from verse 7. Chapter 4, reading from verse 7. so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, That Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. May the Lord grant us understanding and a willingness to obey his word to us this day.
1: Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, members of Grove Chapel and friends, it's a joy uh, to see you here this afternoon on this wonderful occasion, the official uh, celebration of God's great goodness to this church for 200 years, and uh, it's it's a joy to see faces that go back in Grove's history so far. There's one gentleman here who was in this congregation when the fourth minister, Henry Atherton, was still ministering here uh, in the early 1930s. There's a thought, isn't there? And uh, by God's grace, some of the younger ones here might be here in 60, 70, 80 or more years, who knows? May the Lord long extend his faithful mercy uh, to his people, chosen by sovereign grace in Jesus Christ here at Grove Chapel. Well, the text for uh, this afternoon, at least, just saying this afternoon, uh, is First John chapter 3 and verse 1, where the Apostle John writes... See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And I'll leave the verse there for now. The theme for the three services today and tomorrow morning and evening, Uh, the theme has a clear Trinitarian structure. Today we think about God the Father, the God of love, and tomorrow morning, God willing, God the Son, the God of love, and in the evening, God the Spirit, the God of love. But as I begin to think, or began to think about the theme assigned to me, uh, the, the God the Father, the God of love, the first person of the Trinity. It occurred to me that one way to approach this great subject is to use the whole Trinity as a kind of structure or template for this theme. Why do I do that? God has revealed himself to us as the triune God. The triune God is the God of the Bible. The one true and living God is the three-in-one God. And this is not some secondary, optional, or negotiable detail about God. It is who he is in distinction to the God or gods of every other religion or the God of the cults. What makes our God to be different to every false God is that he is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let me add this as well. Every Christian believer enjoys fellowship with God, the triune God. And we enjoy fellowship With the Father and the Son and the Spirit distinctly, distinctly, while enjoying fellowship with all three persons together. And the rich Trinitarian theology of John Owen addresses this. He speaks of how we distinctly hold communion with each person of the Godhead. But then he adds, I do not exclude the other persons from communion with the soul in the very same thing. What what does that mean? It means this. We cannot bask in the love of the Father without simultaneously, at the same time, relishing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also at the same time, rejoicing in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So each of these three persons I think of this afternoon as a window into the love of God the Father. We have, if you like, the window of the Father, the window of the Son, and the window of the Holy Spirit. And let me begin then with thinking about the window of God the Father into the very love of God the Father. Look again at verse 1 and the opening words of verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Now if I were to ask you the question, what is the great message and theme of the New Testament? Or What great climactic discovery or revelation does the New Testament bring to us? We would probably, all of us, answer by saying, well, the answer is very clear. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The old authorized version and other old versions have on their title page for the New Testament these words. The New Testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we would rightly answer that Jesus Christ, his person, his work, is the great theme of the New Testament. And like the Apostle Paul, we should determine to know and preach nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But we need to understand something further. The revelation that is brought through Jesus Christ is the revelation of God as the triune God Father, Son and Holy Spirit all spiritual blessings come to us in and through Christ alone but among those great spiritual blessings is this spiritual blessing that we know God the Father as a Father of love That's what Jesus reveals to us, that God the Father is a Father of love to us. And Owen even goes as far as to say this, that the love of the Father is the great discovery of the gospel. That is, if there were no gospel, if there were no saving message through Jesus Christ, God could not be known any other way but as full of wrath and anger and indignation against sin. Nor, says Owen, can the sons of men have any other thoughts of him. But what do we find when we come to the gospel? Here it is. It's here in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us what kind of love what manner of love what wonderful love what amazing love and the Greek word used for what kind in this verse the Greek word potapos is the. it's the same word used in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27 and what happens there well the disciples have just been in the boat when Jesus has calmed the storm and stilled the waves. And you remember what they say, don't you? What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? It's wide-eyed, open-mouthed wonder and amazement, something that takes your breath away. What kind of man is this, that... A moment ago, we were in hurricane-force winds and the waves were breaking over the boat. It was about to break into pieces. And now, in a split second, the sea is like a millpond. What kind of man is this? We might say in the same way, what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that we who are Christians should be called children of God? Our friend Ian Hamilton says this word has the idea of saying, from what country is this love? From what realm does this love come? God's love for sinners is out of this world. It's love from another planet. It's love from a higher transcendent realm. It's utterly above and beyond and unlike any other love that can be known in this world. Now friends, this afternoon I invite you to use your imaginations for a moment and I want you to imagine if you can the perfect love of a perfect father. We've all had human fathers. Some of us may never have known our fathers. Some of us may have had fathers who were not all that we might have wanted them to be. Those of us who are fathers know that we fall very far short of what we would like to be. But I wonder whether your mind can conceive of the ideal father. What's he like? What word associations come into your mind when I say, picture the ideal father, the perfect father. I tried that myself a few days ago, and I came up with a number of words. Maybe some of them are different to the words you would come up with, but I came up with a few words. Wisdom, knowledge, maturity, fortitude, nobility, experience, patience, kindness, warmth, acceptance. Humor, security, respect, devotion, trust, dependability. And maybe you would add to that list. But let me tell you something. Whatever ideal impressions of perfect fatherhood may come into your mind when you think about that subject, what is it that the Bible reveals above all else? We know the answer. It's here in the text. What kind of God, what kind of Father is God the Father, friends? He's a God of love. The great discovery of the Bible is the love of God the Father. See what kind of love the Father has given us. Love to the unlovely shown that they might lovely be. A love that is synonymous with compassion and mercy and grace. It is the love of God that reaches down to you and me when we are in the very gutter of life and human existence, when we are in the very filth of sin, It's the love that reaches to you and me when we play the adulterous and unfaithful wife. It's the love shown to us as the undeserving, penniless, stinking, prodigal son, not expecting any love from a father, but returning to find outstretched arms and a father running out to greet us and to embrace us. It is the love described by the Apostle Paul in Titus 3, verses 3 to 7, which could easily have been the text for this afternoon. Paul writes to Titus, For we ourselves, and this is you and me, my friends, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another. But, but, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friends, see what manner of love, this wonderful, otherworldly, astonishing love, God the Father has lavished on us as his children. But let's go now to our second window, On the love of the Father. And this is the window of God the Son. What manner of love is this? Well, says John, it is that we should be called children of God. Children of God. Do you remember that wonderful description on resurrection morning in John's Gospel, John chapter 20 and verse 17, when Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene and he said these words to her. She wanted to hold him, but he rebuked her or rather delayed her and said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And we should notice carefully what Jesus says at this point. He says, my father and your father, in the same sentence, in the same breath. My father, your father. Jesus doesn't simply say, notice this, he doesn't simply say, our father. He doesn't say, I'm ascending to our father and our God. No, not quite. God is not the Father of Jesus in exactly the same way as he is the Father of every believer. He is the Father of the Son, the unique Son, by eternal generation. The Son has a unique relationship to the Father as the only begotten and eternal Son. None of us will ever be God the Son as Christ is God, the Son. But let me move on immediately and say this. Jesus says to Mary, and he says this to the disciples, my Father and your Father. He invites us to come alongside him as he draws near to the Father so that we can dare to call him Father, so that we can be confident to call him Father. And we need to see what a revolutionary thing this is. It's not quite true that God is never addressed in the Old Testament by his people as father. We have, for example, Isaiah 63 verse 16, where Israel says, For you are our father though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. But understand this, what is a kind of fleeting and almost furtive glimpse of God the Father in the Old Testament becomes the full-orbed vision of God the Father that we enjoy and you can enjoy in Christ in the New Testament. And now we are taught by Jesus himself to begin our prayers by addressing God as our Father. With no hesitation, with no reluctance, with no sense of presumptuousness. He is our Father. And here is a most beautiful way that our Lord Jesus expresses this in John 14, 23. Do you know these words? Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, listen to this, and we will come to him and make our home with him, make our home with him. What a rich and comforting word the word home is, isn't it? There really is no place like home. If the word father is evocative, then so surely is the word home. Where's home? What does home mean? Where's your home? Home is where we are at rest. Home is where we are at peace. Home is where we are loved with unbreakable security. Home is where we can sit back and fold our arms behind our heads and let out a deep sigh of relief. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Sense of ease at homecoming. It's where we belong, so that all fear and tension and unease evaporates. Home is where we lay our heads. Home is where we are allowed to laugh and to cry. Home is where we can be and can become truly ourselves. Home is where we live. Home is where we grow. Home is where we thrive. What is home? Home is that place where the child of any and every age, from the little toddler to the fully grown adult's Man or woman can walk through the door, the front door or the back door and say, Mom, Dad, I'm home. And know instinctively that he or she belongs in those familiar, comfortable surroundings and they will hear someone say, oh, welcome home son, welcome home daughter, sit down, how's your day been, this is where you belong. We all have a homing instinct, don't we? We all know what home means. Now understand this this afternoon. Home for every believer. The best home, the only home, the ultimate home is to be with the Father and the Son who says that they will make our home with us. It's to belong to the household and family of God. You know, one of the great challenges of Christian ministry in the 21st century, we've said a few times as elders and members, is the challenge of loneliness. Not only here, perhaps in Camberwell, but in so many places. So many lonely people, so many people cut off, so many people longing for fellowship. And the Lord knows that. And he calls his people into that household and family. How is that possible? How can we claim that privilege? God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has free and unlimited access to the front door and the back door of the house of the Father. He, having taken our human nature to himself and having lived and died and been raised to life and to his Father's right hand, takes us up with him to enjoy those privileges. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have those full rights and privileges of approach to the Father. But let me add one more thing here. A day is coming, is it not, when we will all enter into the full and unbroken enjoyment of those privileges, of moving finally and permanently into our home. Robert Candlish, the Scots commentator of the 19th century, in his commentary on 1 John, he puts it like this. He says, the hour comes when the loving elder brother, that is Jesus, leads us into the spacious, lofty, bright hall of his father's many-mansioned house and presents us to the father. Can you imagine that? He presents us to the Father face to face, and he says to him, Behold, I and the little ones whom you have given me. And there behind him is that vast multitude that no man can number. And then there is that clear sight, unclouded vision, a full and perfect understanding between him and us as full and perfect an understanding as there is in the case of his own beloved son himself. The father who greets his own son greets every blood-bought son and daughter in Christ and with Christ. All that is dark and doubtful about his character and ways is cleared up when we see him as he is. We are waiting and longing and yearning and aching, are we not, for that day of coming home to the Father when our joy will be full. It is the great goal of our salvation. It is where we are headed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me finish now and look through one more window. The window of God the Spirit. And I just take for my few words for this section where it says there in verse 1 And so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. And so we are. So we are what? So we are children of God. And notice that word children and it really means children. John does not use the language here of sons, but the language of children. And there is a difference. We know, particularly from Paul's letters, that one of Paul's great teachings is the teaching of adoption. That we are adopted as sons with the heirs and rights as full-born sons of God. And that, in a sense, is where we were in the last section just now. But the Apostle John does not think so much of adoption as he thinks of birth. That's why Steve read earlier from the last verse of chapter 2, everyone who practices righteousness has been born, born of him. And that links us, doesn't it, friends, to some wonderful themes in John's Gospel. John, Jesus telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that no one sees the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And how in that wonderful prologue to John's Gospel, all who believe in the name of Jesus are given the right to become children of God who were born again not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God, born of God. We live in days, in recent days, in recent times, when the value and the honor and the dignity of those human beings made in God's image, about to be born, has again been devalued and debased by evil and wicked laws made by our government. But what happens when a child is conceived, formed in the womb, and then comes to birth? Something wonderful is going on. The creator God executes all his creative power. The imparting of life of blood, of oxygen, of dynamic circulation, of the astounding complexity of the genetic blueprint for that individual child who is being formed in the mother's womb, the beginning of a new soul, the forming of a new body, a new individual. Every naturally born child is a wonder of God's creative wisdom and love. But isn't it true that natural birth, physical birth, is in, a, in one sense but a picture of an even more wonderful birth, a spiritual birth, a power that is supernatural, the power to give eternal life, a power of amazing love that gives rise to a newborn child in Christ. Christians are children of God. Not by a mere legal arrangement, but because we are born of God. We partake of the nature of God. We share in the family likeness. We have a new nature which we receive from God. What does that mean? It means that we are like God. We resemble our Father. The things that God loves, we love. The things that God hates, we hate. And this new nature is formed in us by God, the Spirit himself. It is the new heart. It's the heart of beating and pulsating flesh, rather than the cold heart of stone. And the Holy Spirit, who was given to Jesus Christ beyond measure is the same Holy Spirit given to us as his people so that we become brothers and sisters of Jesus. Not in a merely formal character, not in a cold legal sense at all, but in spirit, in heart, in mind, in likeness of character. This is living life. This is dynamic life. This is a life that is cultivated and developed. This is a life that moves and grows to full fruition and maturity. We grow up as growing children of a loving father in a household as we come together and are fed by him. The Holy Spirit who first gives us birth continues to give us growth as we live and learn and grow together as his people, as his family. So I draw to a close. See then, this amazing love of the Father, that he does everything and stops at nothing to bring you and me to full and final maturity to what the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 dares to call even the full stature of the Son of God himself. To be like giant cedars of Lebanon flourishing in the courts of our God. In just over 24 hours, the bicentenary celebrations of Grove Chapel will all be over. That'll be it for another hundred years, until 21:19, when the 300 years by God's grace may well be celebrated here, or oh, we hope they will be, don't they, unless the Lord has already come back before them. And this, as many have said even today, is a very beautiful building which has stood here all these years, and many have come and remarked what a beautiful building it is. But the true building work of the church goes on and on and on, here and elsewhere. The work of Christian ministry goes on and on. How? The love of the Father, reaching out to people, Through the gospel message of the life, death and resurrection of his son. The gospel. The power of God to salvation for anyone and everyone who believes. And all in the power of the Holy Spirit. For the salvation of a multitude no one can count. To the eternal praise of God. Our God. Let's pray together. We, O Lord, have only begun to glimpse ourselves, some small chink of light, as it were, of the amazing love that you have for us, our Father. What... Sinners we are by nature, what wretches we are, how unworthy we are, how undeserving we are, how weak we are. But, O oh Lord, here is love, vast as the ocean. Here is loving kindness as the flood. And, O oh Lord, we pray that all of us here would have a fresh sense of the greatness and glory Of this love that transforms us. Oh Lord it is a love that. Not only calls us children. But truly makes us children. That imparts your gracious nature into us. So that we become new creatures. With hearts and minds and lives. That are renewed in appetite and desire. And and attitude and in speech and in everything else, O oh Lord our God, or oh, we are not yet what we will one day be. We, O oh Lord, cannot in one sense wait for that day when we are led by our elder brother through that many-mansioned home above, and we see his face, and we, O oh Lord, will see your face. Come, Lord, bless us even here this weekend. May there be joy and and anticipation and gladness and encouragement that you yourself, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, shed abroad in all our hearts as you minister to us. Thank you for this congregation. Help us now to sing your praises once more.
0: We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.